Welcome to Beyond the Bio, a podcast that dives deep into the exceptional leaders at Bain and spotlights the incredible work they're doing. You can look at their bios online, but that only scratches the surface of who they are. We share the stories that show why our leaders are truly extraordinary. Joining me today is Betsy Peretti, a founder in Bain's innovation and design capability and an expert partner in our San Francisco office. Today, we're talking with Betsy about her journey to Bain, the origins of Bain's innovation and design capability, and what she's most excited about for the future of IND. Betsy, welcome. It's good to have you on the podcast. Thanks. It's great to be here today. Now, Betsy, everybody who listens to this knows we always start by trying to get a sense of who we're talking to. So you're going to be no different. Let's start with early life. Where did you grow up and when did your interest in innovation and design and technology? And I'm guessing you were in an elementary school saying, I want to be a management consultant. Is that a fair assessment? That's a fair assessment, although I do believe there's a part of all of our eight-year-old selves that we should take to work with us as we're older, because I think that brings us a lot of joy. I grew up in a small town in Nevada. My dad ran a small casino hotel, and I was exposed to business from a very early age. I have very vivid memories of playing in his office while he responded to customer feedback calls. These were the days before Google and Yelp, and my dad would call everyone that wrote a comment card and have a conversation with them about their visit. He always told me the customer is always right. Mm-hmm. And I think that was ingrained in me from a very young age. And so that's where my love of customer experience started and business building and entrepreneurship. That's really cool. Now, you end up going pretty far away to college then. How did you decide what you wanted to do for that? And did you have a major and a career path in mind when you left home for school? Yes and no. I knew I wanted to go to a liberal arts school and have a small community. I had always been in small communities and valued the connections there and just what can happen when you're in those environments. I thought I wanted to be a doctor and very quickly realized I didn't like blood, but I liked helping people. And so I majored in economics and French at Bowdoin and figured I could solve business problems and organizational challenges. And that would be a pretty exciting path to pursue. Now, I was a college athlete, and I will resist the urge to talk about our rivals, Bowdoin, to the north and keep moving with the outline that I have in front of me. That is I might just say mules are sterile. <laughs> so let me, let me ask, with that degree, you mentioned your business background. Did you have a clear sense of what you wanted to do? I know for me growing up, we weren't talking about you know consulting versus banking versus medicine around the kitchen table, although my mom was in healthcare. How about you? Yeah, it's interesting. So my parents were both accountants by training. And so they had some sense that you should do something professional that opened doors, but they told me it wasn't accounting. So I went on a quest (laughs) to figure out what would that look like in 2004, 2005, 2006, and quickly landed on consulting being something I thought would use my interpersonal skills more and develop kind of more strategic problem solving. I knew I was already good at math, so I didn't want to become a banker. I wanted to do something that was more creative and people oriented. No disrespect to any bankers listening to this, by the way. (laughs) When you were looking at consulting, though, Betsy, at the time, I don't think we had a big presence on that campus. We probably do have a bigger one now. How did you get connected with us? A lot of people that that reach out to me want to know, like, well, how do I get on the radar? How do I find a way into consulting? You know, I don't know a lot of consultants and they don't come to our campus very often. You know, how did you navigate that back then? Bain didn't recruit at Bowdoin, but I didn't even know that there were recruiting processes that happened on campus. So I did what (laughs) any enterprising college student would do and look in the alumni directory. And I called every alum that had ever been in consulting. It was probably 35 or 40 people. And being from a small school, people actually picked up the call. And so I was very fortunate. One of those contacts introduced me to a female partner at Bain in San Francisco. 
And the rest is pretty much history. I fell in love with what she told me about Bain and I could just see her being successful as both a woman in business, but also as a mom. Mm -hmm. And even though I didn't have kids at the time, I didn't even know if I was going to have kids. I just thought this is a place that really takes care of its people and helps them grow and build a life. And that was something I really wanted to do. Very cool. Now, when you joined San Francisco, you stay there for a couple of years. What was your experience like in the office? And what do you think about you know, when you look back on that time in your career and your professional journey, first job out of school, you know, what stands out to you as you reflect on that? It's a great question. I think that the learning and the community really stand out. San Francisco is one of Bain's most innovative offices. So many of our practice areas have started here. So many of our great results stories have started here. And so I loved that. I got to work on the future of utilities and the grid, and that was new and exciting in mm-hmm. the time when I was in the I looked at software companies in the Valley, and right. then we even built a retail company in my first years as an AC, like had the model, designed the product, hired the team, like full on launch. And so I just loved what we were doing in the office. And then the community, I mean, when we had our wedding, we had our individual schools, you know, we had the Stanford photo and the Duke photo, and then there's the Bain photo. And that group is bigger than anyone else at the wedding. Now, one of the things we talk about in recruiting a lot is this notion of building your own Bain and saying that if you talk to 10 people at Bain, you'll find 10 different journeys through Bain and yours included an externship. Talk a little bit about that and why you decided to do that, because it sounds like you were doing some really cool stuff while you were doing the client work. Yeah, it's true. I reached a point where I was so grateful in my second year at Bain that I started to look around and say, well, how did this happen in my life? You know, I loved being an AC in all the ways that we were making the world a better place. And I reflected back that education had been the turning point in my life when I had accessed great educational opportunities, doors opened, and I wanted to be a part of bringing that to others. So I decided to go work at Teach for America for an externship. And what did you do while you were there? Were you in the classroom or were you working with some of the, I mean, they, I have a few yeah. TFA alums on my team today <laughs> and it's a big organization that does really great work, but there's also a lot of ways to plug in. So I was not teaching in the classroom. I actually did two stints at Teach for America. I went for an externship and I loved it so much that I went back for a second year. So the first year I worked on No Child Left Behind, all the data had come out and we were trying to figure out how do we help kids in different types of classrooms get the resources they need. And so building big analytical models and data systems to understand, okay, well, how do we do a preschool classroom versus a high school physics classroom and ensure their resources? I think very quickly, like the rest of the world soon realized data wasn't the only way to solve that problem mm-hmm. and to put kids on a different life path that we had to do something else than look at test scores. And I spent my second year in the highest performing classrooms trying to understand how teachers were moving kids three to five grade levels in a year and writing our strategy on 21st century skills and what would it take to truly transform our educational system. That's amazing. And just to be clear, so I don't get in trouble with staffing, you didn't do a two-year externship when you talk about first year and second year, did you? No, I very much did my externship, came back to Bain and said, I want to go and leave Bain. And I thought I was leaving <laughs> Bain permanently at that point, you know, to go do this job and change the world. And of course, now I've come back to Bain three or four more times. So you ended up doing that and then you go back to business school and what was the plan for business school i know i look back at my essays every once in a while and say yeah that was a dream of what i was going to be doing 20 years down the line yeah so i pulled on the thread of education i thought Mm -hmm. i wanted to start an ed tech company merging this idea of data and putting people on different life paths and i enrolled in the dual mba education program at stanford which is just world renowned for this type of work Mm -hmm. but while i was at stanford i started to spend time with entrepreneurs 
you know, I really like to talk to people to solve problems right. and realize that having an impact in this sector in 2010 was quite hard and that I got most motivated when I could have an impact. And so I started looking for things outside of education that would allow me to have a big impact on the world. Where did that lead you? I, I will point here uh, parenthetically, Betsy, that my business school essay also included ed tech, which is what I did my master's thesis <laughs> in the public school system. I convinced MIT that eighth grade science was engineering enough and spent my grad school year in a classroom. So it's funny. And we're both back at Bain not doing ed tech. <laughs> so. yeah. And I honestly haven't figured out how to weave it back into my life. Mm-hmm. You know, I know it matters to me and maybe that's another chapter, but yeah. it's something that I love and maybe you still do too. Definitely. And, and I stay involved through other means, but it's just interesting that there's so many different paths and different ways to scratch the itch as you go through it. So Betsy, what was the next step in the journey as you got to Stanford and started thinking about what you were going to do on the back end of that? Yeah. So as luck would have it in my study group, there was an entrepreneur, he's wonderful and dear friend now, Sid, and he owned a chain of candy stores in the Midwest. And it's hard to run a chain of candy stores while you're at business school. And I'd been advising him on the side. And when I was having this debate around what do I do? I don't really want to do ed tech. He said, well, I would just kill for you to come work with me on this company. You know, let's get it operationally running. Let's start a new brand. Let's launch it and let's reinvent this category that's very sleepy, but could be really fun. Mm-hmm. And so I said, yes. What was the candy company? I spent 18 months of my career early working for a, a five-way merger of a giant candy company. The meetings and the trade shows were amazing. It was like adult Halloween. We would just go booth to booth yeah. and get a big bag of candy. It was amazing. What was your concept? So our concept was retail candy stores, but kind of high-end retail candy stores. Mm-hmm. Um, we started a brand called Lolly and Pops. There's still a number of them all over the country today, so you can see them. They have a beautiful kind of blue purveyors of sweetness and curated in different sections where you can really go and shop and create an experience around sweets. And then there's also a wholesale business and other pieces of it. So you continue down this path of starting businesses. We now hit two and we're about 10 minutes into this discussion. How did you end up back at Bain then? Why didn't you keep growing that business and running with it? Was it something about going back to your roots or your your longer term vision for your career? In the end, I think it came down to just the mission of the business. I couldn't really believe in giving diabetes to kids when I'd just been focused on putting them on a different life path. As much as I loved the concept and the brand and the building of the team Mm -hmm. and the merchandising, I just didn't think that I could see myself being really happy in that 10 years down the road. I also had realized, you know, being an operator, I'd had 100 plus employees, I'd had different store locations, and I wanted more mentorship and I wanted more coaching to become a more experienced manager. Mm-hmm. And I thought Bain was the best place to do that. You know, I really thought there was growth to be had in the years coming back. And so I decided I'd come back. A lot of the guests that we've had on the podcast, even when they left Bain, a lot of them have come back to Bain, kept in touch with people while they were gone. So they yeah. never really left the Bain family, even though they were sort of getting a W-2 from another company. Were you in that same boat? Once a Bainey, always a Bainey. Sam Israelit was one of my dearest, dearest partners and mentors. And when I was starting Lolly and Pops, he was right alongside me. He was helping me figure out customer strategy. He was helping me figure out supply chain and hiring. And I think once a Bainey, always a Bainey. My identity, I've always felt like I've always been at Bain, even though of my 17 years I've been away six or seven of those years. Yeah, and and Sam, for those of you listening, is also a guest on the podcast. Uh, So if you want to hear a little bit about Sam's background, he's somebody that's just been great to get to know. It was awesome to talk with him. and, And what you're describing about Sam is not a surprise to anyone that knows Sam. Betsy, I also know that it wasn't a smooth path back to Bain. Can you talk a little bit about what was going on 
with you personally as you made that transition? Yeah. During this time, there was probably the most upheaval I've had in my entire life. I was in a near-death accident on my bicycle and had a severe traumatic brain injury. My executive function skills were wiped out and I had a hard thing with basics of just reading and getting through the days. And so coming back to Bain was something that didn't actually look possible for a while. And yet Bain was incredibly supportive. I spent two years on leave and thanks to Bain's incredible medical coverage and health insurance, I made more than a full recovery. Betsy, had you actually started back at Bain at the time of the accident or were you on your way back? I had started back. I'd been back for maybe two months into my consultant tenure. Wow. And when that two years, obviously fast forwarding through a lot of difficulties, When that two years was done, did you jump right back to client work or did you rejoin in a different capacity at Bain? Yeah, a near-death experience has a way of kind of clarifying and refocusing life purpose. And so I didn't want to miss that opportunity and I did. And I went back to what mattered most to me, which was putting empathy at the center of problem solving. And I loved human-centered design. I loved product management. I loved entrepreneurship and I wanted to do that. And obviously I wanted to do that at Bain because Bain had been so supportive in everything I'd done. And so as we had the conversation about coming back and I said, I really want to do digital and business building and entrepreneurship. Can we try this? Bain took a bet and we went for it. Wow. And so this is, you come back to Bain, you started a company early at Bain, you started expanding a company while you were in business school. You come back, you end up unfortunately taking two years to fully recover and and get back to Bain and you jump right back in with a new startup inside Bain? Yeah. I mean, when your life has completely changed and you've relearned everything that you've ever had to do, why not do something new and do that in the context of your work life too? Betsy, I want to ask one other follow-up question to this chapter of your journey. What changed in the day-to-day of how you approach the job? There's something about an experience like that, it sounds like, that gives you a new purpose and clarity in terms of what you're put here to do. But what adjustments did you have to make in your day-to-day? Because you had been successful up until this point. It was about to take on a new chapter with, I assume, some lingering effects and lingering doubts or concerns that you might have had. Yeah, I think once you have a brain injury, you have imposter syndrome in almost anything that you do. And so for me coming back to Bain, it was about finding the joy in the work every single day, really gravitating to the client opportunities that would have joy at the center of them, working with teams that had joy, building a team where joy and empathy and love were the core of what we did. From a tactical perspective, you know, I time-bound my days in different ways. I made sure that my life outside of work was really full and purposeful, and I was doing everything that I wanted outside, which included I was teaching Pilates at the time. I have a dog. I had a whole host of friends. And so doing everything outside of work that made me be a very thoughtful and introspective and kind of courageous leader at work. So Betsy, I want to talk a little bit about the work you're currently doing at Bain. You've had a lot of IND work throughout your career, but that's what you've been focused on since this chapter started. Can you share some examples of the type of work that you're doing with our innovation and design team? So our innovation and design team is our group at Bain that builds new ventures and also reinvents customer experiences. And we're a team that's made up of strategists, business builders, product managers, designers, technologists, analytical specialists. So it's really like a team of Avengers. We all have these superpowers <laughs> that we bring the really fun problems that have never been solved before. And we work together to make something new. 
And often it will be a new business. Often it will be kind of reimagining a customer experience. Cool. And maybe you could talk about one of the projects that you've worked on just to give people a sense of how those Avengers actually assembled to do good. Yeah, I'll give you a couple flavors of them. I think one of my favorite, we were working with a footwear and apparel company on how to grow outside of their core. And so we looked to 2030 and said, what is the consumer going to be like in 2030? What's the athlete going to be like in 2030? And put together a really futurist view of what are the business opportunities that you go after in light Mm -hmm. of those changes with people? And then how do we think about starting to build businesses within that, that you can start buying companies, you can start building companies, you can start running experiments that put you towards that vision. That's really cool. Now, we talked about a while back on the podcast, we had Sarah Day Burton on talking about ADAPT, our advanced digital and product team, which is now innovation and design. What was it like creating that and being one of the co-founders of that? And what did you set out to do? You mentioned a few minutes ago that it was new to Bain in some ways. We were going to place the bet and see what happened. Talk about those formative years and those founding years a little bit. Well, Sarah is someone that I very dearly love. So I'm glad you've talked to her on your podcast. Building Adapt, it was like being a double entrepreneur. Maybe even a triple entrepreneur. You know, the first and primary mission is always to do something very innovative for our clients and to help them build new businesses and to build better experiences for their customer. But the second pillar of the work is changing Corbain and how we work together with our clients and kind of changing the ways that we work, which I find really exciting. As someone who loves Bain, I love bringing new things into teams. Mm -hmm. I love seeing kind of the smile when you're like, oh, we can have a venture ecosystem in this. And this totally opens up how we think about competition. And maybe the third pillar of it is we're building a business within Bain. So Sarah and I have hired a team. We've developed people over time. You build products, you iterate products, you go through the life cycle of how do you market those and how do you get that out into the world? And so it's being an entrepreneur on steroids because not only are you building businesses or your clients as your product, but it's also your business that you're kind of creating around that. Do you ever think back to your AC days and think about how it would have been different if you had a capability like our innovation and design team at your fingertips? I do. And I think we would have delivered more and faster and probably with a bit more fun and joy along the way. Like I loved being an AC, but to see what a designer can bring to life in customer research or to see what a front end engineer can do when you're talking about a problem, they just solve the problem in a different way that just feels so much more impactful and touches kind of your human emotions. I think PowerPoint has this way of communicating ideas really powerfully. But when you actually get to interact with something, there's magic that happens there. Yeah. And to be fair, I guess to AC us, the technology probably wasn't where it needed to be in the early 2000s for that (laughs) to really work. I know, though, that I could format the heck out of a spreadsheet and leave that behind with the clients. uh, and, And they were very happy with that in the late 90s. Yeah. Well, and to be fair, we still use PowerPoint. I think it's an amazing (laughs) tool. So, you know, we should set the expectation that PowerPoint is still very important in the creative process. So, Betsy, you've been a leader in innovation and design since you rejoined Bain. But I guess that was formally recognized recently with a promotion, relatively recently with a promotion expert partner. Congratulations. What are the big things that you're working on now? I know we're continuing to bring new capabilities and skills and technologies into the family. Maybe you can share some of that. Yeah. So 
We are now on the journey from one to 10. We did zero to one for the first five years, and that was really exciting and great. But now we're focused on how do we reach scale and how do we do this with deeper expertise, faster, better. And so we've brought in Umbridge. There was recent partnership with them, and they're helping us drive scale in our digital delivery. It's an amazing team of former founders, technology folks, designers, and they are helping us build out our digital delivery. What is, for people who aren't familiar with that, what does digital delivery mean to the person who's, you know, maybe an undergraduate or a bachelor's program or isn't familiar with this space? Yeah. So we build physical products. These can be websites. These can be apps. They can be applications. They can be part of an experience. So tools that help people when they're in a store selling clothes can be one part of the solution that we develop. And so adding the Umbridge team to our team is very exciting because they bring skills to be able to build products very quickly. They also bring the skill to drive scale on these products. It's not just getting the MVP out the door, it's actually getting a scale solution. And then the third thing that they do, which I'm just blown away by, is they can help build our clients' teams because you never want Bain to stay around forever. You always want to say, well, how do I fish on my own? And they help actually build the team to do that. Right. It's funny. You mentioned the minimum viable product or MVP a second ago. I laugh when I see these things now because we would leave clients behind with a spreadsheet and be like, we nailed that. Right. It's got colors and tabs. And you're literally talking about leaving clients behind with a working product like an app, you know, on a tablet that associates can use in a retail environment which is just yeah, remarkably or, different. Or a business that has revenue and has people coming into it. I mean, we literally right. are leaving behind results and businesses that are changing people's lives. Unbelievable. What other partnerships and things are we working on today? We just entered into a partnership with OpenAI and generative AI has the potential to completely disrupt how we build businesses and how we interact with customers. And our partnership is putting us at the forefront of bringing OpenAI into our clients' businesses on challenges that they're facing. So how do we deal with a call center and change the customer interaction? How might we think about marketing and generating social posts and engaging with social media and responding to our customers in real-time ways? And so we're on the forefront of bringing these generative AI tools into our clients and adapting them to their environments and also setting up their teams to be able to use them and innovate on top of them. So Betsy, we've talked a lot about your journey and some of the things we're doing in innovation and design. And I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you, what are some of the things you wish people knew about innovation and design? It's the buzzwords people are using, you know, back when I was you know, 15, yeah. 20 years ago, it was, you know, Six Sigma. What is Six Sigma? Nobody understands it. And what do people need to know about innovation and design right now? I think at the core, innovation and design is the same as it's always been. It's about creating customer delight. And when you create customer delight, you can build great businesses, you can build great teams around those. And so the core of it is still, how do we take human problems, known or unknown to the people that are experiencing them and just make them better? And Betsy, what advice would you have for people that might be interested in IND as a career path? You know, they may be getting an MBA, they might be getting an engineering degree, they might be getting an anthropology degree and say, you know what, I am actually think this could be for me. How did you figure that out for you? And how would you advise people who are trying to figure that out for themselves? That's such a great question, because I think we all reinvent ourselves time and time again. I think to let the constraints be the catalysts for what you want to do in your life. So think about the things that you're really good at or really bad at, and how do you use those things to create a path? I think within innovation and design, that's absolutely true. Like We take people who are amazing at technology 
and amazing at design and then amazing analytics folks and we put them all together into a team and so how do you do that i guess the second part is like i have very much a prototype everything mindset so test it out in small ways before you commit talk to people and see if that's actually a good idea before you sign up for a lifetime in ed tech or any other career you might consider and so how do you prototype the life experience that that will be and test to see if that actually fits and is what brings meaning and value and could that take the form, for example, of an internship? Or if you know you're going back to business school, maybe you leave your job in June and do a pre-business school internship or something like that? I think that's right. You know, I think it starts with having some conversations, going to a hackathon and testing that out, getting an internship, following people that you know are in entrepreneurship and seeing if you're inspired by what they're sharing, building companies yourself seeing if anyone can stand up a company today. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the hackathons, I'm glad you mentioned that because we do them inside Bain and I've been to a couple outside Bain. And what's been really interesting is I've been to a couple where they just put the team together and the team doesn't even know each other. And it's really neat to see them just create. It's like, they're all really great musicians with their instrument and they're just going to get together and jam for an afternoon and just see what they come up with. And it's really awesome. And it's amazing what you can create when you do that, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and you just... The problem is that outside of those forums, I think most people default back to their friend group and the bubble that they're in and wonder why they don't really get any breakthrough answers just swimming in yeah. the same fish tank with the same fish. One of my favorite hackathons we did at Bain was for a large manufacturer of farm equipment. And we were focused on like, well, how do we just build better analytics for them? And so you start asking questions like, well, what does the farmer need in the field? What are they actually looking at? And how can you make that real time when you might be in a combine or a tractor? And just really cool, like, how do you think about solving that problem? Those are the, exactly the types of experiences we don't do enough of. We think about all the cool things that data can tell us. And then you build this dashboard that nobody's using because it's way more than they actually need when they're, in your case, you know, on the tractor, like plowing the field. What do they actually need to know? Yeah, well, and that's what I love about the work that we do. It's really focused on, do you have an impact every day? Like it's right. great if it's a big dream, but how quickly can we see in a test that something will work? And then when you actually get the concept out that it's working and that it's solving people's problems. Betsy, I wanna thank you for your time today. I'm gonna put you on the spot with one last question. What are you excited about in innovation and design at Bain over the next, let's say two to three year horizon, what types of things get you excited to come to work every day and work with your team and, and create new stuff? I think in general, it's the scaling journey, you know, that we are just on a rocket ship within Bain and everything that that brings along with it. And yeah. the types of questions we are getting asked to solve are just so far out there that if you told eight-year-old me that I was gonna get to do this, I just would have been over the moon. I think there's also a part of that that's the team that gets to come along with you. Like you are hiring the best of the best, you know, the Umbridge folks coming in. We're going to hire other people that are just incredible at doing this. And the capacity to learn when you're in that type of environment is just awe-inspiring. That's really awesome. And the capacity to learn and the ability to learn from those around you is one of the things that I know has kept me here for a long time and keeps a lot of people here for a long time, or in your case, people coming back. Betsy, I want to thank you for your time today. I look forward to seeing you in person one of these days when I get out to the West Coast or if you find yourself in the Midwest. But uh, it was really great having you on today. And I look forward to seeing great things from our innovation and design team. Well, thanks, Keith.